Acts 12, 1 through 12. Would you hear the word of the Lord? About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James, the, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, Quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out and followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel. And rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are king over all. You are king over those who humbly submit. And you are king also of those who proudly lift their head. You are king this morning, and we ask that you would give us hearts that surrender, that yield, that bend the knee and bow the head in reverence and fear and in honor of you. So, Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard, for the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said, heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak? Quiet our hearts, still our minds, that we might hear. Would you speak? Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, we have, you've probably seen, uh, the unfolding of a terrible tragedy in Afghanistan. Um, The advance of the Taliban, who are rigorous Islamists, rigorous uh, imposers of Sharia law, have descended upon and engulfed a country that had tasted liberty for a couple decades. But in those couple of decades, 
Many things have happened, and I don't have time to tell all of the stories, and there are many things that I don't know. But in that time, the church of Jesus Christ expanded and grew in the context of liberty. In the context of some semblance of freedom, the church in Afghanistan grew. House churches grew. Leaders were developed. The preaching of the gospel went forth and people came to life. And now under the rule of this tyrannical new government or old government, Christians are losing their lives. Even today, though, in defiance, the church of Jesus Christ continues to worship. Church continues to preach and to pray, to gather in shelters and basements hidden from the eye. There are numerous accounts of the Taliban looking for particular church leaders in order that they might execute them and sometimes in shocking fashion. And it reminded me of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 22. He says it several places in the Gospels. Um, but you will be hated for my sake. In Matthew, I mean, excuse me, in John chapter 15, he says, the servant is not greater than the master. They hated me, they will also hate you. They persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So when you think about what's happening think it's imperative upon you that you realize that it is a miscarriage of justice. And I've used the word tyranny, and you're going to hear that a few times this morning. But is the tyrannical imposition of the sword for unjust goals in that country. But it is not uncommon or unheard of, or unexpected for Jesus' people to suffer for Jesus' sake in a fallen world. It is not uncommon, though it might be uncommon to our lives and our experiences. It is not unheard of. There are stories that we could tell, both of present day, as I am doing, but also of past instances where people have paid for their faith with their blood, But it should not be unexpected. And part of the problem, or maybe problem is too strong a word, part of the issue at hand for the American church is that because by God's grace, we have not endured. We have not been called to endure such persecution. We have not had that heavy hand upon us for a long time in this country. And because we have not... We have begun to assume that persecution should not be expected. And I think among many other things, that has led us to a lack of fervency in prayer, a lack of urgency in preaching, and a shallowness of holiness of which we are reaping the whirlwind as the American church. The title of this message, and I intended to preach it two weeks ago, but the Lord has His ways. 
is of tyrants. The next chapter, we're continuing Acts, the next chapter of tyrants and of prayers. We are, after the blooming of the church in Antioch, this Gentile-centric church at the end of chapter 11 of Acts, we're almost roughly brought into an issue that is happening in Jerusalem, and that we learn that the persecution that arose after Stephen at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, has not faded, but now, rather than being simply centered in the religious authorities and religious leaders, it is now centered in political power. That King Herod violently attacks some who belong to the church. Now, this Herod is Agrippa, King Herod Agrippa I. He is grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is, Herod the, Great is the Herod there when Jesus is born. He is the Herod who kills the innocents of Bethlehem. And a similar misuse of the sword given to political power. And, and let me kind of unpack that. There are, there are three spheres that God has built into creation and human society. At creation, we have the establishment of the family. It is a God-ordained institution, marriage, children, family. After the fall, we have the institution of the state or of government, the organization of societies and of cities. And in redemption, we have the organization, the, the institution of the church. So there is the family, there is the state or the government, and there is the church. Each would be best to stay in their lane, while we as individuals go in and out of various spheres throughout the course of our lives and of our days. But problems arise when one takes on the responsibilities of the other. Most usually, it is the state trying to take on the responsibilities and the governance of the family and of the church. That's a problem. And it's been a problem in church history. So Herod's actions here, I'm using the term tyranny. That the state has been entrusted as a minister of God. And by state, I don't mean like South Carolina. I mean governance, governments. Whatever it be. Whether it be King Herod, who is a, uh, a vassal king under the emperor of Rome. Or it be presidents and congress and or parliament and prime ministers or dictators, whoever it is, that when a government either misuses the tools given to it by God or for a greater control and a greater imposition of its will upon the people or where that government begins to dictate in ways that it ought not the life and the responsibility of either of those other spheres, whether it be the family or the church, then that government is treading into tyrannical waters. And what we can see in the Taliban is that we would ably and honestly, quickly acknowledge to be tyranny. Tyranny in the name of Islam. 
that one of the greatest tools that God has given to governments, and this is Romans chapter 13, if you're wondering, that he has given the sword, has given the sword to states and to governmental societies for the putting down of evil and the encouragement of good. But what happens, what happens to a government when rather than putting down evil to support good, it puts down good to support evil if it is not tyrannical? What else ought we call it? If a government or a state uses the tool that has been given to it by Almighty God, the authority, who is the, he is the king of kings. He is the king of presidents and of house of legislatures and of senates. He is the king of all, and all human authority will be accountable, is accountable to him. And so if that human authority begins to leverage the tools available to it, for the causes of wickedness rather than the causes of righteousness, what ought we to call that state or government other than tyrannical? That's precisely what Herod is doing. He has, he's really, he's too big for his britches. As the end of the chapter, I didn't read that, but the end of the chapter proves it so. And the end of the chapter proves the end of all tyrants. His death. But Herod is, a, is tyrannically beginning to persecute the church, and he persecutes the church for the, to please people rather than serving the law, rather than serving God's law. He's in, this is Israel. Rather than serving the law, he serves the pleasure of the people. And, when he, and so he kills James. This is the son, the other fishermen. There's John these are the sons of thunder, John, James, and John. James is one of Jesus's, when Jesus was on the earth, one of Jesus's three closest disciples. He's killed by the sword. This is not a religious execution. He is not stoned. He is, it is a political execution in that he is beheaded with the sword. This is the political sphere. This is the state gone astray and gone awry. This is not a religious execution. This is not the stoning of Stephen. It's, I mean, it's the same. It's the martyrdom of believers. But one is a religious execution stoning. The other is a political execution with the sword. The sword entrusted to the state is used for the crushing of Jesus' people. And therefore, Herod acts as a tyrant. And he sees that it pleases the Jews. He arrests Peter as well. The, uh, another of the closest disciples of Jesus. And when he arrests Peter, Peter can anticipate a similar end as James. We're given no lead up as to what happened with James. We're given no information of what he might have done to run, run afoul with Herod. All of a sudden, Herod decides he's going to violently attack the church and he kills James and he arrests Peter. And the, the expectation... 
And this is the expectation of all tyrants when they come against Jesus' church, is that when you kill the leaders, the church will shrivel up and die. That's what they thought was going to happen when they crucified Jesus. That's what they thought was going to happen when they killed James. And he thought he was going to continue to do it with the apostles who continued in Jerusalem. Church history tells us differently that when you squish one of the leaders of the church, two or three others are emboldened by it. Tertullian, the early church father, said, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. So Peter, having been arrested, is assigned all of these. There's 16 guards assigned to him, this lowly fisherman. One commentator said that his penchant for nighttime jailbreaks had preceded him. If you remember earlier in the book of Acts. So there's 16 soldiers that are placed around him and Peter's kept in prison. But something is happening outside of prison walls. That the church that is persecuted is the church that is often praying. And the church was fervently praying to God for Peter. The power of the persecuted church lies not in taking up the sword of the state. It lies not in the political machinations. The machinery of politics. Christians remember this. You can be in your politics. You ought to be in your politics. You should be a Christian who votes as your conscience dictates. But your power, your power lies in secret. Your power lies in prayer. Our power together is connected in prayer and in proclamation. And through the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper, through these Things that the Lord has blessed for his people. We lose our way. When we believe more strongly. In the politics of a donkey or an elephant or what other animal you want to represent yourself with. Rather than in the power of the gospel and of prayer. Again, I'm not saying that those things don't matter. But they are not close to as powerful as the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the prayers of the saints. Because you have Herod, who is, who is as strong geographically, he, he reigns as, with as much territory as his grandfather. But at this point, he has been entrusted with all of this territory by the Roman emperor. He's assigned all of these soldiers to Peter. And that you have, and then you have this meager, weak group of people who is gathered in secret, but they are praying. And we see this collision of the power of the state and the power of the church. As Peter is rescued. Now, I need to have stated out there, not everybody gets rescued. What's the difference with James and Peter? God's providence and God's wisdom. 
Some believers will live in Afghanistan. Some believers will live in China. Some believers will live in Indonesia. Some believers even live in places like Saudi Arabia and Iran. But some will seal their testimony with their own blood. And it is up to the Lord. James paid with his head. Peter, by God's gracious provision, is set free. And he's set free with miraculous movement of God by sending an angel who strikes Peter, jabs him in the ribs so that this man wakes up. Brings him out. Peter's in a trance. I'm not going to walk through all of that, but I want to see, I want you to see where Peter goes. Verse 12, as he realized what was happening, he goes to the house of Mary the mother of John Mark. This is Mark, the gospel writer. Mark, who would later accompany Barnabas and Paul on their missionary, first missionary journey, who would then abandon them and kind of create a fissure there. Don't worry about that right now. But there were many gathered at this house who were praying. The passage that I read is bookended by the powerful prayers of the saints. But dear ones, I don't see that. Too often I don't see it in my own life. This desperate, fire-sealed prayer. My prayers are too often cool and mechanical because they're altogether too safe. That's a confession. And I see it in the life of our church as well. The times that we have, there have been times, now I want to show, I want to just in the light case study, Blaney Baptist Church, week in and week out, Wednesday nights, sparsely populated. Now, we've kind of shifted gears as to what we're doing on Wednesday nights, but when we simply sang some and prayed some, sparsely populated. The times that we have gathered for particular prayer, for a particular need, well, we knew, like, we knew. We knew there was something that needed our attention, that we needed God to, as, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, to rend the heavens, to tear open the heavens and come down. We prayed. And God listened. It still wasn't a packed out church. Because there's something in our flesh that just doesn't believe That prayer matters. We need the big. We need the flashy. We need the power of this world. And this prayer of a humbled group of people, many though, gathering in secret to pray and God hearing in the moment and bringing their, the result of their prayers to the door. And they still didn't believe it. Poor Rhoda, the servant girl. She's, she's like, Peter's at the door. And they're like, no, he's not. Let's go back and pray that God releases him. And God had. 
In the times that we've gathered and we pray. And God hears. I think about, again, I've told these stories and I'm not going to tell all of them. But one, the missions conference in May. Where we had like two or three particular prayer requests answered almost simultaneously as when we were praying. God's provision for missionaries and God's provision for church planting happened right there. We've seen people healed and we've seen, we've seen these things. But it seems always to take that desperation. But too often when we bump around in this world and we bump around in the, the freedoms that we have. And I'll comment on that in just a second. The freedoms that we have in America. It just, it seems to take away our desperation. And that is not the fault of the freedoms. That's the fault of the free. Where we have not been desperate in prayer. And we have not been urgent in proclaiming the gospel. And we have not been deep in holiness. And dear ones, I say this soberly. I want to say it carefully. Because of that, because we have not been urgent or fervent in prayer, urgent in preaching the gospel, and deep in our holiness, tyranny is no longer a problem across the world. Tyranny is at our doorstep. And you may not believe that, or you may believe that, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, and that's not my point. Christians are not persecuted like they are around the world. But just today, there's a, not today, just this week, a open-air preaching. So on open-air preachers that have, they've already been getting arrested in the UK if they were to speak out about God's standard for human sexuality. But that's happening here now. And that might not trouble you. But I think about that often as a preacher of the gospel and a preacher of God's word. And I believe that part of it, again, if there's anything you want to take away from this, it's an admonition to, to myself and to you that we be fervent in prayer for God's cause, that we be urgent in the preaching of God's word, and that we press deep in holiness in Christ-likeness together. Because the sword of the state has been entrusted by God. And the state, political powers are accountable to God. But that sword can be wielded not just as a literal sword as Herod, but it can be wielded in legislation. It can be wielded in culture. And so I say again, tyranny is not just a globe away it is on our doorstep 
and what that should mean. Yeah, get out and vote and all that jazz. But it means that you should go home and pray. And that it means that we are going to pray. In just a moment. But that we must take up the power that the Lord has given to us. The power of the gospel. And the power of prayer. Because we know the end. And because we know who is king. Psalm 47. I read as our call to worship, but I just want to remind you. Verse 6. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our king. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom for God is king over the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Or Psalm 2. And I wish I could just send Psalm 2 to every world leader, including our own countries. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. And this is what they say. Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath and says, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. This is the father speaking to the son and that he has given the nations to the son. And you will break them with an iron scepter and you will shatter them like pottery. So now kings be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. Do you see the audience to whom the Lord speaks? So now, kings, hey, Herod, hey, Caligula, hey, Nero, hey, Domitian or Constantine. Hey, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom or President of the United States. Hey, Senators and Congressmen and women. Receive, be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe. With fear is the word there. And rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. The end of tyrants is that they will fall before the true king. Herod's death is at the end of chapter 12. And I'm not going to walk through the whole thing, but he begins to give a speech and they say that he is, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. And at once an angel of the Lord strikes him down. 
because he did not give glory to God. That sounds mighty similar to Psalm 2. Pay homage to the Son, lest he be angry. He did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God spread and multiplied. So, dear church, tell me where power resides. You look to the throne. You look to our king. You look to the king. And you get about his business. And if you are not a child of God, know what your king has done for you. And that he has shed his own blood and died in your stead. So that whoever would trust in him would not die, would not bear the wrath of God, but will live everlasting with him. So would you trust him today? Would you bend the knee and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus? Repeat, repent of your sins and trust him. But church, let us take up the implements of our battle. Let us take up prayer. Prayer and faith. Let's take up the gospel. May it be on our hearts and on our lips. And may the gospel be fleshed out in holy lives that are lived worthy of the gospel, lived obedient to Jesus, standing for Christ no matter the cost, no matter the price. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you to help us as we have been challenged by your word. We pray that your word would dictate how we see the world, dictate how we see ourselves. We see where we're going, what you've called us to, would we look to what you have said. God, would you give us a tender heart to your touch? That we would flee our idols. And that if there are some who are within the sound of my voice who do not know Jesus, who have not known new life in him, They might be shuddering or they might be proud. But I pray that they would, you would bring them to yourself. That new life would be had in Christ. That they would know the forgiveness of their sins. They would know the bliss of being adopted as a son or a daughter of God. I pray that you would lay a deep fervency of prayer upon your people an urgency with the gospel a deep desire to live holy lives after the image of Jesus would you craft us O God as a people fervent in prayer urgent in preaching the gospel and deep in holiness Lord, we ask that you would stymie the efforts of tyrants around the world. That you would blunt their blades. That you would dull their senses. That you would make them blind to the activities of your people. But above all, we pray that you would encourage and embolden your saints. That they and we might be people who are running after Jesus no matter the cost who are not ashamed of the gospel 
and not ashamed of our Lord. Would that be true here and amongst us? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.